Well, it's, it is good to be with you, and it's, it's kind of an interesting story how I got to be here tonight. <clears throat> I'm actually filling in for Kevin Bush, who got sick today. Uh, there's a lot of people who got sick. The second person today that I heard got the flu, but uh, Kevin was sick, and so called today and wasn't able to speak. Kevin was actually filling in for Greg Dole because uh, Greg, as his work and ministry schedule, wasn't able to uh, speak tonight. And Greg Dahl was filling in for me. So it went full circle. It was a long journey, but here I am, and I'm with you tonight. I, I am struck, and I've been thinking about this often today, the kind of, I call it the transi- transitory nature of preaching. Sometimes, I mean, it's a little bit like mowing your yard. You mow it, but you know you're just going to have to go back and mow it again. It's, I'm sure housewives feel the same way. Everybody, you know, you just your job is never done. But there's kind of a... Perhaps a depressing element in preaching in that I'm going to preach a message tonight. And if I'm blessed and fortunate, you may remember it a day or two. Probably pressing my good fortune any time past that. There'll be a few exceptions and this will never be turned into a book. No other conference is going to be on this. It's not going to make a little pamphlet. It's going to be delivered tonight. And with maybe a few downloads on the Internet, it's gone. You think, well, why? Why go through this? Week after week, we keep doing this. It's, it's transitory. Well, no one ever has that complaint when it comes to eating, right? We don't say, you know, why do I keep eating? I'm just going to eat tomorrow. I'm just going to eat the next day. It really struck me that this time, this hour, and this moment, God has designed the ministry of his word for the salvation and the preservation of his people. For you. That are here, and it's formed much of my prayer. Like, Lord, that perhaps this word today, right now, kind of like manna, it's not going to last very long. It will perish, it will be gone. Of course, we know the Bible says God always accomplishes his purposes with his word, but it's for you. It's for your nourishment, for your encouragement, and perhaps the Lord will meet you today in the ministry of his word. When the. Uh, Midweek news went out tonight. Helen said, uh, rather ironically, Tim is going to talk from the word, I think is how she put it, which was which was great. I thought it had already gone out. I thought it had already said that Kevin uh, was going to, to be speaking tonight. And so I was tempted to tell he- uh, Helen, just tell them I'm going to teach about God. That's pretty much a generic. Hey, that gives me a little bit of room to roam going to teach about God. But that really is the subject tonight. I want to talk about God. A God we cannot see. A God we would never, ever know if he didn't reveal himself to us in this book. John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is eternal life, that you know the only true God. To know God. To know God is life-saving, soul-saving. That's what Jesus said. This is eternal life, to know God. We talk about knowing. How do you know anyone? How do you know me? 
you know me by my face. You could recognize me and say, I know him. I've seen him before. But do you know me? I mean, really know me? Do you know how I think? Do you know how I react to certain things? Faces are not a good um, representation of what people really are. If I were to go by faces as I preach and look at you, I've told I'd be really discouraged in preaching because sometimes your faces look awful. (laughs) Bored, sleep. If I judge you on the basis of your face, I'd probably be wrong. And oftentimes we do judge people on the basis of the face. Oh, that must be a really, they look so nice, so handsome, so whatever, so rich. Total misjudge of who they truly are. Which is interesting because God absolutely forbid in the Old Testament any image of himself to be drawn. Because there isn't an image in the world that could accurately reflect who God is. You couldn't look at that image and know God. The only way to know God is through his word. That's how we know God. That's how we discover his attributes. And Jesus said, this is eternal life, knowing God. Knowing who God is. We know him by his attributes. And I just want to focus tonight on one attribute. Twenty-four minutes left. I want to focus on one attribute of God that is life-saving, soul-saving. It's a song we just sang. God is faithful. God is faithful. I'm going to read a couple of Old Testament passages before I land. We're going to eventually land in Hebrews chapter 11, but we're going to do a little bit of walking and we're going to walk quickly. In Exodus chapter 34, remember when Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. Let me see you. Show me who you are. What is so fascinating is it wasn't necessarily an image that passed through Moses. But what was it? It was attributes. The Lord said in Exodus 33, 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. In chapter 34, verse 6, it says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. You want to see who I am, Moses? Let me proclaim who I am. And he is a God merciful. He's gracious, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, Moses said, Know therefore the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. Paul picks up on this line of thought of who God is. He says in 2 Timothy 2.11, this is a trustworthy saying. This is worth going to the bank on. If we died with him, 2 Timothy 2, verse 11 and following, if we died with him, we will also live with him. 
If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. So far, it's a one to one correspondent. We do this. He will do this. We do this. He will do this. One to one parallelism, except for the very last phrase. Paul says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. God is faithful whether we are or not. There's no one to one correspondence. He cannot be faithless. He is faithful. I want us to mull on this for just a few moments. What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean for God to be faithful? If I think of a faithful car, I think of a reliable car. If I think of a faithful spouse, I think of a loyal spouse. When I think of something faithful, I think of old faithful. I think of the geyser in Yellowstone. They call it old faithful. But if you look at the website, Yellowstone National Park on Old Faithful, they say Old Faithful is neither the largest nor the most reliable geyser. Sometimes it goes 60 minutes, sometimes 110 minutes, and it's known to make visitors wait up to two hours. So it's not completely reliable. We call it old reliable. What does it mean when God declares his character to be faithful? That he is abounding in faithfulness. Israel, know therefore that the Yahweh is God. He is the faithful God. I think it means primarily two things. And I could look at some scriptures. I'm not going to do that because I'm going to focus in Hebrews chapter 11. And I think it's pretty self-evident. It means, first of all, God will always be what he is. When God says he is faithful, it means he will always be what he is. When he described himself in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, gracious, abounding in mercy, slow to anger. That is who he was. It is who he is and it's who he will be. Who God is, is who he will always be. God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is faithful. I would take you to Psalm uh, 102, where it says the earth. You fa- you founded the earth, you established the earth. But it, it will wear away. It will perish. But you never change. If you think about some of the most permanent things on earth, we would, we would think of the earth itself. Cities come and go. Towns come and go. People come and go. But the earth remains. That's why I like going to the land of Israel, because even though it's basically a land built on rubble of other civilizations, you can still go to the Sea of Galilee and say, you know, that's still this, basically the same sea the Lord Jesus saw. In the same hills that he saw, it hasn't changed. The psalmist says, even though this earth is going to change, although it's one of the most unchangeable things we know, you never change. God never changes. That's what it means to be faithful. The second thing that it always means to be faithful for God is faithful is he always does what he says he will do. That's what it means when he says he's faithful. He always does what he says he will do. God is faithful. We can go to the bank on that. What I want us to do this this evening is to just mull through this for a minute from Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to turn there, you probably don't even need to because it's a very common text. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. What does God's faithfulness mean to us? 
Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The first thing that I want to draw out from the faithfulness of God is that it, number one, it elicits faith. Or you could say encourages faith, but it's more than that. It, re- it requires faith because God is faithful. It elicits faith from us. It requires us to believe him without faith. It is impossible to please him. Isn't it amazing out of all the things that God could want in a person that God would establish for us to do in order to earn his favor, in order to please him? He chose faith. I have all the things. I mean, just think of what he I want you to be celibate all your life and I'll be pleased. I want you to give me all your possessions and I'll be pleased. I want you to do this. I want you. We could think of a hundred other deeds that we could do that maybe would please God. But the one requirement in which all of salvation is based on is. Faith. God is pleased only by faith. Because he is faithful. God's faithfulness elicits our faith. We trust him, believe him because he is absolutely faithful. I don't know about you, but I don't actually like to live by faith very often. I actually get tired of living by faith. Because it's not easy. It's exhausting. It is not logical. I... I've heard people say, you know, oftentimes it's in evangelistic meetings, trust Jesus. You want to trust Jesus? We exercise faith all the time. You sit in a chair, you're exercising faith. There was actually an America, uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. And it was a church and there was a preacher up in the pulpit and he was giving a gospel presentation just virtually like that. Jesus will save you if you believe. And he goes, what does it mean to believe? And to his left, uh, there was a you know, those pews, short pews where the preacher sat on, like like a love couch, a small love pew up there. And the pastor sat up there and he said, faith is looking at that pew that I can stand on that pew. And he jumps up on that pew to stand on that pew and the pew tips and he tumbles off the pew and rolls down the stage. It was pathetic. Terrible illustration. And it's wrong. That's not how God defines faith. Look at verse one of Hebrews one. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. You can see a chair. It's got four legs. It makes sense. I'll sit on that. That'll hold me. That's not faith. That's reason. Faith says I don't have any evidence that it's there except the faithfulness of who God is. That's the basis of faith. God is trustworthy and it elicits from us faith. Faith is rooted in the faithfulness of who God is. Are you struggling with doubt and unbelief? You're ultimately struggling with the faithfulness of God. The second thing that I want to draw out about God's faithfulness, first of all, it it elicits faith. It, It requires faith on our part. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But I want you to notice this next thing for whoever would draw 
near to God. I would suggest to you this evening that God's faithfulness is what encourages our approach to God. God's faithfulness encourages our approach to God. This isn't explicit right here in Hebrews 11.6, but it's been part of the author of Hebrews' whole point up to Hebrews 10 with confidence. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Let us come before this God that is grace. And and I'm suggesting to you that it is the faithfulness of God that encourages us to approach him. And let me just flesh this out for you a little. If you go back to Exodus 34, you don't have to turn there, but it says the Lord, it says that he is gracious He is merciful. He is slow to anger. That's who God is. All of those things should encourage our approach. He is abounding in mercy. And then it says. Steadfast love abounding in steadfast love. That word in Hebrew is chesed. Chesed kind of cough the first vowel. Chesed. It is one of the most important words in all the Old Testament. It is so rich. It is so deep. There's not one way, one word that fills it by any stretch of the imagination. You would have to take a word, words like mercy, kindness, love, loyalty and faithfulness and mix them all up together to come up with has said. That's why some of our English translations translate it. Mercy, loving kindness, steadfast love, loyal love. They're trying to get all of the things that it says that God abounds in said this loyal, faithful love. He abounds in that kind of love. It is a faithful, consistent mercy. And it is that kind of love that in engenders endears approach to God. That kind of love. That word has said is used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. I was going. I had all these verses. I was going to draw take you through, but it's hundreds of times, probably in the Psalms itself. It's the steadfast. Love of the Lord that we trust in the Hesed, Psalm 13, 5. It is according to his Hesed, his steadfast love that he doesn't remember our sins any longer. We are to rejoice in the steadfast love of the Lord. It is the Hesed, the steadfast love of the Lord that surrounds the one who trusts in you. We are told in Psalm 33, 18 to hope in his chesed, in his loyal, faithful love towards us. The psalmist says in Psalm 36, 5, it is extended to the heavens. That's how it, 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 it's so full. It's so it's so abounding. It goes from earth all the way up into the heavens. That's a long way. We are commanded in Psalm 48, 9 to think upon his chesed, his Steadfast love. David prayed in Psalm 51 in in his repentant prayer, have mercy on me according to your said your steadfast, faithful love towards me. It's unchanging. It doesn't waver. It doesn't go up and down with the the 
flow and ebb of my spiritual life. He is a faithful God and he loves faithfully, consistently, unchangingly. The psalmist says. 52 one, the steadfast love of the Lord endures continually. It meets us. Psalm 61, 7, it is steadfast love that is pointed to watch over us. It is better than life. Psalm 63, 3, not to be removed from us. Psalm 66, 2, and in Psalm 86, 5, it abounds. He abounds in steadfast love to all who call upon him. That's why I say God's faithfulness engenders our approach. We come to the Lord, not because we're worthy, not because we come because of his steadfast love. It's he's faithful. You are faithless, but he cannot be faithless. He is faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot repudiate who he is and his love emanates the faithful character of who God is. Those who draw near. It engenders our approach. One of my favorite authors, and he's not my favorite author. He's a really good author. He's one of my favorite biographical studies. Is Robert McShane. He was called the holiest man in Scotland. He prayed to be as holy as a pardoned sinner could possibly be. He was responsible for conversion of numbers of people in Scotland, brought about a revival. He only lived, he didn't even make it to his 30th birthday. He died a very young man. And yet the impact that he made, if I picture holiness in my mind, I would picture Robert McShane. I was in a bookstore in Scotland and they have all these little quaint bookstores all over the place and just looking through and they have literally stacks of books all over everywhere. And I saw this little red book there and I reached out and I pulled it out and it said the memoir and remains of the Reverend Robert McShane. And I almost knew exactly what I was holding. It was the original publication of his work by Andrew Bonar. And I paid three pounds for it, which is seven dollars. So this is what and it made it through the fire. I had it in my office. So this is one of my precious treasured possessions. Here's this man who is the holiest man in Scotland. And I'm sure he and I know he didn't think of himself that way, but he struggled with this. And I just want to read you something that he wrote. He says, I feel that when I have sinned. An immediate reluctance to go to Christ. I think that's inherent to sin. Sin never draws us near to God. It always separates us from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They didn't run to God and say, Father, they hid themselves. And when we sin, our immediate reaction isn't, well, I'm going to go to God. I feel when I have sinned an immediate reluctance to go to Christ. I'm ashamed to go. I feel as if it would do no good to go, as if we're making Christ a minister of sin, to go straight from the swine trough to the best robe and a thousand other excuses. But I am persuaded they are all lies direct from hell. The Apostle John argues the opposite way. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the father. 
This is God's way of peace and holiness. It's folly to the world and the beclouded heart, but it is the way. That's a good word to the struggling sinner, to the, to the tempted saint. It is the faithfulness of God. It is his chesed, his loyal love that extends to the highest heaven that engenders, that encourages approach, even when we've been in the swine trough. It is without faith impossible to please him for he who or for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. God's faithfulness engenders faith. It encourages, elicits faith. It encourages, it elicits our approach. It, it causes us to draw near. And as I look at this last phrase, I believe it is God's faithfulness that encourages our perseverance, our faithfulness. We believe that he rewards those who seek him. Because God is faithful, it encourages me to be faithful, to continue on, to press on, to not give up. Because he is faithful, I can go to him and confess my sins. I, I can draw near to him. I, I can come and approach him. And I can know if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as I understand and grasp God is faithful, it enables me to be faithful, to press on, to not give up, to know that God honors those who seek him. He is faithful to do so. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. I will be obedient. Because I know God rewards it. I know God honors it. I know God is faithful. It encourages our faithfulness. If God isn't faithful, there's no reason to persevere. There's no reason to keep going. But God is faithful. And it encourages our faithfulness. It encourages our perseverance. You get tired. You get discouraged. You get beat down by trials. Boy, there's a bunch of people going through trials right now. All kinds of trials. And you want to give up. Why don't you give up? Because God is faithful. Because God does reward those who seek him. There is an element of God's faithfulness in which we apprehend obedience because God is faithful. I'm going to I'm going to obey. I, I'm going to walk the way. I'm going to to keep on the path. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to remain faithful. I'm not going to give in to temptation. God is faithful. He will reward. There is reward for this. God is faithful to deliver that. I was reading a story on a family in Germany. The husband was, they were Seventh-day Adventists. It was really interesting. I believe they were born again. They were Seventh-day Adventists. He was a kind of an evangelist, and they really did seem to have the gospel straight. But Seventh-day Adventists, they call themselves Seventh-day Adventists because they, Adventists because they believe that Saturday is the Sabbath, and so they keep the Sabbath. They keep Saturday. More than just keeping it and having church on Saturday. I mean, they keep it. No work. They don't do any work on Saturday. 
And, and this particular family di- didn't eat any pork. And their Seventh-day Adventists can, ten- Adventists can be very legalistic. And many of them are not saved, but there are many Baptists that aren't saved too. So I'm going to... This, this family, there was a genuine piety about them. They loved the Lord. I think they were wrong about the Sabbath. I think they were wrong about eating pork. But I read this story of this family living in Nazi Germany. He was an evangelist. He got drafted into the army and sent to the front lines. The story was one amazing story after another. The book was. Because he committed himself to keep the Sabbath even while he was in the army. He committed himself. He believed he was a pacifist. He could never kill anybody. And it was amazing to me, this man, although I think he was misplaced, he trusted God in in ways that put me to shame. He had a service revolver that was given to him, and in secret he went out to the lake. He threw the service revolver in the lake. He took a wood stake carved it into a gun, polished it black, and put it in his holster. And he said, I will never kill anyone. I refuse to do so. And God, I'm asking you to protect me because I'm not going to shoot anyone. He vowed that he was going to keep the Sabbath even if they executed him. I'm not going to do any work on the Sabbath. I'm going to honor the Sabbath. I'm going to rest. I'm going to spend that time. And it was amazing. All through the war in Nazi Germany as one of the frontline troops of Adolf Hitler, this man, God miraculously enabled him to keep the Sabbath that Saturday. Every Saturday he didn't do work. There was there were superiors that he had that said, I will have you executed. You are going to do work. And the very Saturday that they came, there would be air raids and nobody could do anything. They sat in their bunker. It was one story after another of God being faithful towards this man's convictions. And it's that kind of faithfulness that endures us to apprehend obedience. And, I, and I'm reading this book. I'm saying, what what kind of convictions do I have that I, I would risk all? believing that this is true and right and it honors God. And I was put to shame by that. I'm not suggesting to go out and keep Saturday. But I'm suggesting that because of the faithfulness of God, God honored this man. God honored his faith. Preserved his family through the entire war out of his troop. I think, I don't remember how many, there were hundreds in his troop. Only seven men came back alive. And he was one of them. He lived in Frankfurt, and the whole city had been literally leveled by Allied bombs. Their apartment building was one of the one apartments that wasn't destroyed throughout the whole war. He came home to his own home. I mean, God honored this man because he dared to trust God. God's faithfulness engenders our obedience. Do you have that kind of faith? Do I have that kind of faithfulness? I'm going to do what is right because I believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I want to be that kind of man. I do. And I hope you'll want to be that kind of person. God is faithful. I was thinking of this in context, and we're going to close with this, but I was thinking of this in context of Jimmy's message on Sunday. And he was talking about worldliness. Worldliness is our perennial foe. And he he did a great job of dealing with the text. It made me think about all kinds of things. But you know, when I think of combating worldliness, you know where my mind always defaults? It always defaults to 
austerity, some type of ascetic measures. We need to remove ourselves from the world. When I think of not being worldly, I think, man, let's just go be Amish. That to me is that those they're outside of the world. And to some extent, there is a measure of that, because to be so immersed in the world and be so much a part of this consumer oriented society is a form of worldliness. There's no way to look around it. But you can't reduce worldliness to a haircut or a certain style of clothes or a certain car. Oh, that's worldly, because that's what the Amish do. If the car's bright red, that's worldly. But you can have black ones. I went to a church when I was a boy. It was an Amish church. They could only drive black cars. So imagine my surprise. We're walking through the parking lot, black cars and buggies, but there was a 57 Chevy black with mag wheels. It was beautiful. I'd say, that's worldly. It wasn't according to the Amish. It was black. That's the problem when you start looking at worldliness in these measures. Well, we're not going to watch TV anymore. That may be a perfect thing. You, maybe you shouldn't watch any TV, but you start imposing standards and all of a sudden it gets all mixed up. And I'm thinking about okay, what is worldliness? And I'm convinced one of the key components to not being worldly is rooted in this response to the faithfulness of God. It's being a people who believe God. It's being a people who trust God. It's being a people who walk in obedience because they believe God is a rewarder of those who seek them and they're willing to forego other riches because they want God's riches. That, to me, is true godliness. God's faithfulness. And you know, he, he, you know what he does amazing things for us? He brings trials in our lives so that we can experience the faithfulness of God. He brings us through wildernesses. Not with flowing waters, not with palm trees full of, I was going to say fruit, but palm trees don't bear fruit. They bear coconuts. Fruit trees, I mean, he brings us into places in which there is no water and there is no food. There is no sustenance. There is no nourishment. So we can what? Live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I believe God is going to provide for us. But I don't know how. And I don't know when. But God is faithful. God actually ordains much of our lives so that we can learn that he is faithful. So that we can live by the faith that he requires. God is faithful. In the Old Testament, they set up the singers. When David set up the singers, he, they were to set up and they were to sing God is faithful. The, the faithful love of God abounds forever. That's what you were to come to church and that's what you were to hear. You were to come to the temple. God is faithful. His love is never ceasing. Psalm 89.1 I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. I will sing of His unfailing love. His chesed. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. This is eternal life. That you know the only true God. And as you know the faithfulness of God, it is life-giving, soul-saving. And you cling to that. He is faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness in my life. 
one of the biggest recipients in this room of your chesed. Your faithful, unceasing, never wavering love. That love has been cheapened today because people don't understand the complex layers of your love. But for the person who is in Christ, even more than that, Lord, your word says that you abound in loving kindness to all who call on you. What a broad spectrum. What a low qualification. To the one who calls on you, you will abound in faithful love. That that endears our approach, allows us, calls us forth to come to your throne for grace and mercy to help in time of need. And Father, I pray that this word will be a word fittingly spoken to someone that you have ordained to be here tonight. That it will be life preserving for them. That it will be eternal life to know you, the God who is faithful. We pray this in the name of the one who made it possible for us as Gentiles to participate in this steadfast love. Our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.